I'm not originally from here. Uh, I wasn't born in Florida. I'm not a Florida cracker. I'm actually from the great state of Iowa. Now, if you've never heard of Iowa, don't worry, most people haven't. That's pretty sad, actually. Uh, it's somewhere in the middle of the country. And honestly, I love Iowa. Uh, I grew up in uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, which is, if you've never been there before, think of a town like Fort Myers, about the same size. And uh, it also has something here. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this before, but uh, there are these things called hills. And, there, and I'm more than a speed bump, okay? Uh, more than an ant mound, Iowa's full of these hills. And in fact, Cedar Rapids has like a river running through it, and it kind of goes up into a bunch of hills around it. So I love hills. Like, it was so much fun when I was a kid being in Iowa. And one thing I actually remember very distinctly is that there's a, a few hiking trails that you can go around in Iowa. So I would, me and my family, we would go in these hiking trails constantly. And when I was five, my dad decided to take me and my older sister, who was seven, uh, out to go hiking one of these trails. So we decided to go out, and it's about five minutes away from our house. Uh, there's a bridge, and one thing I love about this trail, I mean, there's just a creek to the right, there's hills to the left, and it's just beautiful. Like you could, It's nice. I, I love it. So my dad and my sister are walking about 10 steps ahead, and we're walking, and we're walking, and then suddenly I freeze. Like the fight or flight starts kicking in, and I see a snake on the ground. And as a very intelligent five-year-old, I do what most people would do, and I scream like a little girl. And I'm like, Dad, there is a snake right behind you. You need to, you need to run. Like, there's a snake right there. And uh, do we have any fathers in the house? Uh, okay, so we have a few fathers. So you'll probably understand what my dad did. He decided to turn around to get closer to the snake. Now, as a little five-year-old, all I think is, I'm going to die. And my dad's going to die, and I'm not going to have a dad, and I'm going to be alone. So I'm like trying, I'm trying to tell my dad, please, don't go near the snake. So he gets closer to the thing. And now, I'm, at this moment, I'm crying. Like, I, I can't hold it in. I don't, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm going to lose my dad today. I'm going to lose my sister, too, because the snake's going to kill my sister somehow. And then my dad picks up the snake. And my five-year-old heart almost had a heart attack. <laughs> like, what are you doing? That's a snake. What are you doing? And then in, my dad, in his infinite wisdom, decides to throw the snake at me. Now, he looks at me, and I, at this point, I'm like, I, I'm a lost cause, okay? I, I'm breaking down. I'm crying constantly. And my dad looks at me. He's like, Drew, it's not a snake. I'm like, yes, it is a snake. And he's like, no, it's not a snake. It's a seed pod. Like one of those little seed pods that you get from a tree? I don't know how, but in my five-year-old brain, I saw this seed pod, and I just equated it to snake. So the entire time, I'm freaking out about something that has no effect on me at all. And I'm just going, I'm losing it. And my dad is trying to tell me it's not that big of a deal. So he's picking it up to show me it's a seed pod. But I'm losing it more because all I see now is he, my dad's picking up a snake, and I'm going to die. Now, I don't know about you. And I don't know what you're going through. I don't know your situation. But if I had money and I could make a bet, this would be my bet. That what you're going through right now is probably worse than a fake snake slash seed pod being thrown at you when you're five by your parents. It's probably worse. And maybe things are going for you fine right now. And I can also make another bet that at some point, if things are fine right now, in the future, it'll probably be worse than a fake snake slash seed pod being thrown at you by your dad when you're five. Like, there's a lot of things that are probably above that. What I didn't realize, though, 
is that my dad loves me. He cares for me. So like things may seem hard, but he's going to protect me. I don't have anything to worry about. But in that moment, I, I gave in to fear. I gave in to anxiety and I lost it. And I, I don't know your situation, but maybe this is not how your life works. Maybe this is just my life. But I've noticed that when hard times come in my life, it almost like pushes me closer to God. It almost, I almost have to rely on him more. Honestly, I would even say it like this. The harder the difficulty is, the more I rely on God, which makes me turn to him more. The harder the difficulty is in your life, it's more of an opportunity for you to get closer to God and allow you to turn to him. So I have a theory. Maybe we've, maybe we've misnamed or misinterpreted our struggles. Maybe they're not opportunities to get sad or mad. Maybe they're opportunities to get closer to God. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going through a series called Win the Day uh, by Mark Batterson. If you don't have the book, we recommend you get the book and follow along with us. And today, the title is called Kiss the Wave. Now, if you're kind of literal like me, you're like, how do you kiss a wave? That's, you can't kiss water. It, no, it doesn't work like that. And I was honestly, when I was given this sermon, I'm like, I don't even know what that means. How am I supposed to preach on something that I don't even know? Well, I didn't realize it's actually, it's a Charles Spurgeon quote. And the quote goes like this. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I've learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. I might want to put this in my own words. I've learned to be thankful for all the hard times because it gets me closer to God. I've learned to be thankful even when things seem hopeless because God's my rock and my foundation. Now, I'm just letting you know, that's hard to do. That's not an easy perspective. That's not an easy point. And today, our story is taking place in Exodus 14, and the people of Israel were in the same position. They did not see it that way. They had a very big wave in front of them, and they didn't know if they would be able to make it out alive. Now, if you know this story, then just bear with me for a second. If this is your first time in church and you've never heard this story, then let me explain it to you. There's a group of people called the people of Israel, and for 400 years, they were enslaved by uh, by the Egyptians. And I'm not talking about slavery as in the way you think it. I'm talking about slavery as in possible genocide, killing firstborn babies just because they don't like them. Backbreaking work, and if you didn't work hard enough, they'd beat you. Horrible stuff. And God calls a man, you probably have heard him before, his name is Moses, and he tells him to go lead the people out of Egypt, and I will be with you. So he goes over to the Pharaoh of Egypt, the leader of Egypt, and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, I won't let my people go. They're going to stay right here. And through some miraculous miracles and the way that God moves, uh, 10 plagues were sent down onto Egypt. You probably have heard the story before. And Pharaoh says, okay, after these 10 plagues, go, go home. You're free to leave. I, I will let you go. Now, picture the Israelites in this moment. For 400 years, they're enslaved by people that don't care about them, that want them dead. And now they're free. They, they're, selling, they're celebrating probably. They're having massive parties. And they actually get to take a bunch of stuff that the Egyptians give them. Because the Egyptians are like, we want you out of here. So here, just take all of our stuff. So they're walking out of Egypt. Where do they go? And God guides them 
through a cloud or a pillar of fire, depending on if it's day or night. He guides them a direction. Again, picture Israel. You just got through some really hard stuff, and now you're, you're in the right path. You're going the right way. And God leads them to the Red Sea. Now, if you've never been to the Red Sea before, picture the Gulf of Mexico. You're standing on Fort Myers Beach. You look out. There is nothing past there. That's the Red Sea. Now, if you were an Israelite in this situation, you'd probably say, you know what, like, he led us here, we'll probably go around it the next day, so let's set up camp. You turn around, and behind you is the entire Egyptian army, and they have one purpose, to kill all of you. Now, I don't know about you, but if, in, if I was in that situation, I would have the very logical response of screaming my head off. Because on one side, I have people that want to kill me, and on the other side is no escape. How do I get through that? And the Israelites start to go crazy and they're freaking out. They're, they're losing it. And Moses says something crazy. He says it in Exodus 14, 13 through 14. He says, Moses answers the people, do not be afraid. Moses, do you know what we're going through? <laughs> do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring to you today. The Egyptians you see today, you'll never see them again. The Lord will fight for you. You need to only be still. Now, it's one thing to say that. It's a completely another thing to say that when you're about to die. It's one thing to say that when everything's going great. It's another thing to say that when you're losing your home. It's one thing to say that when your marriage is perfect. It's another thing to say that when your marriage is on the rocks. So how can a guy like Moses put in this situation where he's facing certain death with no way out? How can he, of all people, say, don't worry, we're going to be okay? And that's what I want to talk about today. Now, there's three points for this sermon. And I'm just going to let you know, these points are really convicting to me. And as we go along, they're going to get harder. So prepare yourself. So here's the first point. Here's how we can get into Moses' position. You got to face your fear. Now, what's crazy is that scientists believe that you're only born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. So I had to test if this is true, so I have two three-month-old babies, so I went over to the baby's nest and just started screaming, and it turns out they're scared. Shocker. But you're only born with those two fears. Every other fear you learn and pick up throughout your life, it's fear of spiders, Fear of the ocean. Now let's talk about some real fears. Fear of failing. Fear of finances. Can you provide? Fear of being left alone for your entire life, that you'll never find someone. Fear of being enough. Now those are all fears. And we all have felt that at some point or another. And listen to me. I'm not dismissing what you're feeling and I'm not telling you that what you're feeling isn't valid. Trust me, I felt almost all those, sometimes overwhelming. But here's the truth of the matter. If it's not born within you, it was learned. So if it's learned, it can be unlearned. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. God doesn't give you a spirit of fear. So I don't know what you're going through, and if you feel afraid, I'm just letting you know, you don't have to feel that way anymore. 
You don't have to spend your entire life in fear, trying to make sure that you're enough, that you matter. You already do. So how do we go from getting fear learned to unlearned in our life? It's simple. First John 4.18 says this, perfect love drives out fear. To realize that you are loved by the creator of heaven and earth. And if you understand that, like, I won't be accepted. You already are but from him. I'll have, I'll, I, won't, I, I need to make enough money or else I won't be able to provide. He'll provide for you. The perfect love through God dispels all fear because he can provide every need. Now, I don't know about you, but I hear that and I get that, but I don't always apply that or understand that. Now, here, here's where the crazy part gets, gets us. And like, bear with me for a quick second, okay? Um, I have a car, and we bought this car so that we can drive our kids. It's like a crossover. And last week, I brought all of the stuff to youth group because I'm the youth pastor, and we had a great time. And then I get into the car, and then I smell gas. Now, I don't know a lot about cars, but I know enough to be dangerous. And I equate gas inside the car to bad. So... I, I have a theory, okay, maybe there's a, a leak in the fuel line. So I look underneath the car and I don't see anything. Okay, so now I'm nervous because I smell something and I know something's wrong, but I don't know where to go. So I have a really great benefit in my life. I have two people that are equally talented that I can go to for all my car issues. That's my father and my father-in-law. So I can go to either of them and they can just help me figure out what's exactly wrong. So this time I took the car to my dad on Friday, uh, literally just last week, uh, not like two days ago, but like nine days ago. And he's like, okay, did you check underneath the car? So we checked underneath the car, still no leak. And he's like, okay, let's try to figure this out. And we open up the hood and we see right near the engine, there's a six inch piece of rubber. It's about uh, an inch in diameter and there's a slight leak in it. And the gas is coming out of this onto the engine bay. If I ignite the car, if I start the car, it will ignite the gas. Okay, kind of a problem. Kind of can't drive the car anymore. So I go and I try to find the part to fix it because I kind of know where it is and I know what, what to describe it. And I go to Ford because I have a Ford. And I asked them about the part and they said, yeah, we don't sell that six-inch piece of rubber. We sell the entire fuel line. And oh, by the way, that fuel line is $300. Pay me, please. Now, maybe you're in a different situation, but I'm just letting you know $300 is a lot of money. Like that's 30 meals at Chick-fil-A. Okay? <laughs> that's a lot of money. But I also know one thing. I don't have the time to fix this car. My dad doesn't have the time to fix this car. And, oh, by the way, I need to pick up my kids in four hours. <laughs> I also have a photography job that day later. Oh, and then also I need to have the car ready for Sunday so I can actually, you know, be here. So I need this car fixed now. And I don't have the money to give. And if I go to a mechanic, I'm going to have to spend $300 just to get the part and $300 for labor. And I know that if I do that in my head, I'm going to not probably have enough money to pay the bills. Now, maybe you've never been in this situation. And I'm just letting you know, you're pretty incredible. I want to be around you. But me, as a pastor, who has been in stuff like this before, where God's provided finances, I got very afraid that I was not going to be able to pay my bills, I was not going to be able to make ends meet, that I'm not going to provide for my family, that I can't provide for my kids. And then suddenly in this moment, I'm like, I don't know what I can do. I'm all alone here. And I kind of realized what I was saying. Like, why am I saying this? 
God's provided before. Why would he start now? Why would he stop now? He's not failed me yet. Why would he stop now? So I just took a moment and I said, you know, Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know what you're going to do, but I just know that you're going to do it. So please help me. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting you. I don't know how, but I'm trusting you. So we found a mechanic and the mechanic's like, oh yeah, I fixed that problem before. I'll fix it to you for a third of the price. So we give him the car. He fixes it for $62, which is already like, dang, that's pretty incredible. I go over to pay him, and he's like, no, nah, man, I found out that you're a pastor. It's on me. Now, that sounds really cool. Like, who wants to have free car fixes for the rest of their life? I know I do. But here's the issue. There was a moment between when I had actual car issues, and I had no idea what to do, and the actual mechanic fixing things. There was a moment in between where I was afraid, and I could have chosen anything that I wanted in that moment. I could have chosen to trust my God or trust myself. And if I trusted God, I wouldn't see a result immediately. Because here's what I want you to understand. God provides, but he usually provides when you face your fear, when you take that first step. I had no idea this mechanic was going to say that. I had no idea he was going to fix it for that. So when I gave him the car, I literally had no idea if I'm seeing this car again. Let me challenge you for a second. When's the last time you took a step out into faith not knowing if you can make it? Maybe for you, that's literally today. But I want to encourage you. If you're in that position, God will come through and he will come through at the right time. And he always does. Will you trust him? Will you trust him? So part of facing your fear is not only facing it, but there's a second part of it, and it's called standing your ground. That's the second point. Now, there's two issues with standing your ground. The first one is that you actually have to stand on something. Now, church, I love you guys. You're incredible. But I'm just going to tell you some hard truths for a second. So if you get offended, I'm sorry. <laughs> you got to hear this. Hard times show what you're really standing on. And maybe you're different, but when I go through hard times and I reevaluate what I'm standing on, I realize that instead of standing on the rock of Christ, I stand on the pebble of myself. I'm not truly trusting God the way I could. I'm not truly giving him my all. So it almost comes to this point where when I see the wave coming in front of me, I want to get to this point where I'm like, man, thank God, because I can actually check if I'm really trusting him. I can check if he's really my foundation. Now, the second issue with standing your ground is that you have to actually resist something. The reason why you stand your ground is to resist something in general. A football player, an offensive lineman, stands his ground because there's someone coming his way. I'm just going to let you know, if the wave's coming in your life, sometimes God destroys that wave before it hits you. Sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes you're going to get smacked in the face by life. Sometimes you get a, a straight uppercut. But when hard times come and you feel like giving up, do you choose to say, I know everything is failing around me, but this is the rock of Christ and I'm not moving? Because here's the truth. The only thing that is solid through every crisis is the rock of Jesus. So I'm just going to let you know, like, as, as a pastor, I love you, but if you're trying to rely on just yourself to get through every situation, you're going to fail, and you're going to fail hard. 
And that's okay. We're in a room full of failures, me being a massive failure. But I want to encourage you. It's not just enough to say you love Jesus and to abandon him and stand on your own rock. The real life changes, the real power is when you give him everything and you put your feet firmly on Jesus. That no matter what happens, I may want to move, I may want to falter, I may want to fall backwards, but I am choosing to live my life for him. No matter how big the wave is, no matter how strong it may look, because here's the truth, no matter how strong the wave is, my God's stronger. Some of you need to hear that. No matter how strong the wave is in your life, he's stronger. So will you trust him? Will you stand your ground? Now, the way that I think of standing ground is this is wasp killer. Now, how many of you are the designated wasp killer in your, in your family? And all the guys raise their hands. Now, maybe your situation is different, but if a wasp comes in, uh, I become my wife's guardian angel in that moment. And I'm ready to kill that thing and because there's no way that wasp is staying in my house. So I drive the church truck to, um, to, to here and from here. We pack everything in there on every Sunday. And a couple Sundays ago, I had just enough gas that I could leave and go to the gas station. So I go to the gas station, I open up the gas tank, and three wasps fly out. Now, as a 24-year-old dude, I did what everyone would do, and I screamed like a little girl and ran away. So I go to Publix right across the street, and I get this wasp killer. But maybe, maybe this is just me. Maybe this isn't you. But I wanted to kill the wasp but not get as close as I could. So I decided, like, I, I tried to stay 20 feet away, and I'm like, like okay, am I okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spray this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill these wasps. So I start spraying, and then, like, there's something primal in me that, like, I just got really into it. So I just kept going, even though, like, these wasps were being suffocated by whatever is in here. And I sprayed so much that literally the gas tank started foaming out. Wasp killer. Well, wasp killer is flammable. So now I need to get rid of all the wasp killer because if I start the car, it's going to light everything. So I have a bigger issue right there. And I, don't worry, I figured it out because I'm still here today. Uh, but here's the truth of the matter. This only works if you get close and stand your ground against a wasp. You can't run away and expect to kill that wasp because here's the truth. The wasp is staying right there. It doesn't care about you at all. You have to plant your feet, aim, and fire. And I'm not doing that in here because it's going to hurt someone and I don't want to do that. Here's the truth of the matter. You will only know how much faith you have until it's pushed. Everyone wants a miracle. No one wants to be in the situation where you need a miracle. Everyone wants to be saved by God. No one wants to be in the position where you get saved by God. I'm just going to let you know, it's going to come at some point in your life. Maybe it's hitting you right now. Maybe it's going to hit you in a week. Maybe it's going to hit you in a month. But when that happens, when you choose to stand your ground, because if my God is for me, who can be against me? Then you'll be able to resist whatever's in front of you. But you can't do that if you run away. Psalm 18.2 says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and my horn of salvation. He is my stronghold. Is he your stronghold today? And if he isn't, awesome. That's okay. Can you move to a place where he becomes your stronghold? Can you trust him? Because at the end of the day, the wave's going to come sooner or later. And the sooner you can learn to stand your ground, 
face your fear, that's when you'll be able to face whatever's coming in front of you. Band, you can come on up. And the final point, and I think the hardest for me, is that you got to hold your peace. Now, we just lived through a year called 2020, where we had a COVID pandemic, where we had the lockdown, we had riots, and then we had an election. Now, I don't know about you, but I definitely felt like losing my peace through all of this because it wasn't fun. And I just want to let you know, that's cool. But one of the marks of maturity in your life is that no matter what happens around you, you can still hold on to your peace because it can't shake you. Your circumstances can't shake you if you're rooted solid in the word of God. Now, here's another issue that we have, though. We don't even know how to get to peace. Well, let me give you three ways to have peace. Okay, so the first one, you know where your strength comes. It comes from God. The second one is that God can't be shaken. So if God is for me, who can be against me? Now, super fluffy and easy to say, it is completely different to say that when it doesn't feel like it. But I want to challenge you. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're struggling with. But even in the midst of a storm, when the biggest wave coming towards you, you can have peace. Because at the end of the day, we're not rooted in ourselves. We're rooted on the everlasting God. And if he hasn't failed us yet, why would he start now? I'll leave it with this today. Psalm 29, 11 says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Some of you have been devoid from peace for a long time, but it is a blessing that he wants to give you. The third fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. It is obtainable for you no matter what you're going through. But it all starts with a step. If you want to face your fear, if you want to stand your ground, if you want to hold your peace, you've got to step out. And one of the most convicting scriptures of me in the last month is actually Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. God doesn't ask you to know, he asks you to trust. You don't have to know everything to trust him. And the issue with trust is like everything else. In order to know how much you trust him, you've got to be put in the situation where you don't have to trust him. So picture this. The wave is coming. The issues are coming. Maybe you're like the Israelites out at the Red Sea. An enemy behind you, unpassable in front of you. You want to know how the story ends? God delivers them when Moses steps into the water. He doesn't deliver them before. He delivers them once Moses walks in faith into the water. That's when deliverance comes. That's when freedom comes. So I want to challenge you. Like, hear me when I say this. And this challenges me too. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know how hard it's been. I don't know the last year, month, week, day that you've had. But I can tell you this. When you step out in faith, when you trust God, he'll come through. He'll provide. He will always provide because he's a good, good father. The only thing he asks you to do is trust him, take a step forward. So may you do that today. May you hold your peace. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord, I thank you for today, uh, especially as this sermon is convicting me. Um, so many times I, I trust in myself. I rely on myself. And then when I see something in front of me that's bigger than me, that's stronger than me, I get scared. I want to back away. But I'm always brought back to the old truth that you haven't failed us yet. You won't leave us. You will always be there for us. So I don't know who is in here that's hearing this, but Lord, I just pray that you just calm their soul. You are there for them too. And no matter how big or how strong the wave is, you are stronger. So let, let us realize that today. Let us focus on that a bit more. Let us learn to kiss the wave that breaks us against the rock of God. In Jesus' name.